So do you guys, you guys know the difference between a, a priest and a pastor? It's not a joke, as Joe Biden would say. It's not a joke. Do you, do you know the difference? Uh, because they're not the same, right? So the word, the word pastor comes from the Anglo-French word that means a herdsman. So, you know, a pastor is, is essentially to a group of people what a shepherd is to a herd of sheep, helping them to, to get on and stay on the right spiritual path and guiding them and, and feeding them God's word like a shepherd provides for them. Now, a priest, on the other hand, is someone who prays and serves as an intermediary between God and people. And I'm telling you all of that for a reason. Because today, as we come again to our series in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, and in our journey through the advent of Reformation, that idea is going to come to the surface as our Lord reveals a teaching to his listeners that really probably blew their minds. And that was the fact that he encouraged them as individuals to ask and to seek and to knock at the throne of God with the same confidence and anticipation as any member of the Levitical priesthood. So we're going again to our Sermon on the Mount, and as I have on here, I'm going to read you the first two verses of chapter 5, and then we're going to go into chapter 7, uh, verses 7 to 11. So I hope you have your Bibles open in front of you so you can follow along and listen for the voice of the Spirit. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good gifts to those who ask him? And brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord to us today. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, you've, you've told us to seek after whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is pure. And we find that, Father, this morning in your word that we've just read. And we ask you now to confirm it uh, in the preaching of the same for the good of your people and the glory of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. So we're in our... What, honestly, what probably is going to be our final message from the Sermon on the Mount, because believe it or not, we, we have completed almost the entire three-year lectionary journey that we started back in the spring of 2021. Uh, and, and, you know, we're starting to circle around again to some really familiar passages that I've already preached on in that three-year time period. And if you've been here long enough, you know that uh, once we finish the lectionary through, I usually break off and preach through a single epistle before we jump back into the three-year lectionary again. So that's probably what's coming up. But be that as it may, uh, as we come to our primary text today, our Lord returns again to the idea of prayer. And if you remember, he already broached that topic one chapter earlier in teaching his hearers what we call the Lord's Prayer. And probably to their amazement, inviting them to address the God of the universe as Father. And if that hadn't astounded them enough, he was going to go one step further today and tell his original audience, and by extension tell us, that we are free to ask and to seek and to knock directly at the throne of God without the need to have anyone else intercede between us. And of course, that, that's not to say that you know the faithful of Jesus' day or earlier did not 
ever pray or make individual petitions to God. But, you know, in that time, much like in the medieval church in pre-Reformation Europe, there was a very stratified idea about access to the presence and the attention of God. We see that all through the scripture, but particularly in places like James uh, chapter 18, where there's a group of men from the tribe of Dan that were traveling and they, they heard there was a priest in a nearby town. The Bible says in uh, chapter 18, verse 5, and they said to him, inquire of God, please, that we may know whether the journey on which we are setting out will succeed. And the priest said to them, go in peace. The journey on which you go is under the eye of the Lord. A little uh, further on in the book of 1 Kings, when Israel and Judah wanted to go to battle against Ramoth Gilead, but they weren't exactly sure what to do. We read the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, there is yet one man by whom we may inquire of the Lord, Micaiah, the son of Amon. If you remember the story of the great religious revival that took place under King Josiah when the people rediscovered the book of Scripture that had been lost in the temple, we read the Second Chronicles, and when the king heard the words of the law, he tore his clothes, and he commanded Hilkiah, saying, Go inquire of the Lord for me and for those who are left in Israel and in Judah. Concerning the words of the book that have been found, for great is the wrath of the Lord that is poured out on us, because our fathers have not kept the word of the Lord to do according to all that's written in the book. Or, or even when you come all the way to great men like King David, who when he was running from Saul, we're told, went to the tabernacle to seek out the high priest. And 1 Samuel 22.10 says, And he, meaning the high priest, inquired of the Lord for him, for David. And gave him provisions and gave him the sword of Goliath, the Philistine. And so if you notice there and in other passages in the Old Testament, people always seem to be going somewhere to inquire of God. Like they had to go out of Egypt, right, to worship and pray. Uh, or over to the tabernacle or, or up to the temple. And in all of these places, there was this limited access to God. Like, of course, think of Mount Sinai. When Moses was about to receive the Ten Commandments, we read in Exodus 19, God saying that you shall set limits for the people all around, saying, take care not to go up into the mountain or touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. And then later, if you think of the way that the tabernacle and then the temple was laid out, where there was this large general space in the courtyard for the regular people and then a, a more restricted holy place, and then the completely hidden most holy place, and it's in this most holy place where God's presence was literally enthroned between the cherubim and the mercy seat. And only the high priest could go there, and that only once a year through this large curtain wall. And if you guys remember the history of it, he didn't have a rope tied around him and bells on his garments. So if he did something wrong in there, if he wasn't acceptable to God or was in sin, he might just die in there. And, and the people would know because the bells would stop ringing. And they'd have to pull him out because they couldn't even look in there. Because it was cordoned off, as I said, by this huge curtain of embroidered linen thicker than a phone book. I probably, maybe a few people here don't know what a phone book is. I'll, I'll show you when I'm on. I think you still have But it's pretty thick. But the whole idea of this sacerdotal separation idea really ramped up in the minds of the medieval church. Which, of course, we know existed in a society that was very hierarchical and class conscious, even to the point where their theologians 
invented minute classifications of different orders of angels in heaven. They're based on what they thought was their perceived nearness to God's throne. And yet, and yet today Jesus says, for everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, it will be opened. Which is really what I want us to focus on today, which is not so much the what or the why of prayer, which we've, as I said, covered in those previous messages, but instead in the how it is that we as individuals have the privilege to employ it. Sinful and lowly as we are, and actually gain an audience with and gain the attention of the king of the universe. Which, as I said, if you guys had a chance to read through that little section in the, in the bulletin, if you've had a chance to look over it, uh, it is, is an essential biblical idea and really one of the top three ideas rediscovered by the Protestant Reformation. Because uh, you see, the medieval theologians, now they believed that salvation came from God only through the offices of the church. They believe God works exclusively through a select class of priests as they administer the, the seven sacraments of the Roman church, and baptism and the Eucharist and confirmation penance and extreme unction and, and marriage and holy orders. We Protestants, on the other hand, believe that all people in the church are priests. Or, or in the language of Scripture, we believe in the priesthood of believers. And here's the difference in how that plays out. The medieval Christians believed, and, and still the Catholic Church believes today, uh, that the church was part of the celestial hierarchy where everything in heaven and on earth had its place in this great chain of order. And that God passes his knowledge and, and his grace down that chain through, through Mary and the various saints and angels who in turn invest that information in priests who then give it on to the, to the lady, to the, the common people. But Luther challenged that notion and he rejected the church's claim because he believed the Roman church rested its idea of the unique priestly class on man-made tradition rather than on the authority of scripture like the ones we just read in Sermon on the Mount. Where Christ himself invites us to address the Almighty as Father and make petitions right at his throne. I'll give you an example of this from maybe an unlikely, unlikely person. It's a, it's a really great book. I've recommended this before a couple times. If you hadn't read it, it's by a Muslim woman who became a Christian. The name of the book is I Dared to Call Him Father. Uh, it's a story of a, a lady named Bilquis Sheep who was a, a wealthy upper-class Muslim woman living in this palatial home in Pakistan in the 1960s, uh, who at the age of 52, even though she had everything that, uh, that money could buy and a social position could provide, she became really discontented with her life and she wanted to find something that would give her a greater purpose, something to, to live for. So she began reading the Quran, but it didn't bring her any comfort. In fact, she said she got even more agitated. But she happened to notice the, the prophet Jesus name mentioned in there. She thought, you know, maybe maybe reading more in his teaching would be interesting, but of course she couldn't do it openly because of her family. So she instructed one of her servants to get a Bible for her. She began to read it. And she said she couldn't put it down. And then she said she began having these dreams uh, about Jesus, and these dreams just struck her so vividly that she said she had to, to find out more. Uh, who, who's read it? Has anybody read it? You read it? Uh, and in the course of events, she, she spoke one day with a Christian doctor who was treating her son. And when they had a private minute, she said to the doctor, you know, whatever happens, I've got to find this God that's pursuing me. But I'm so confused 
Because you Christians seem to make God seem so personal. The doctor said, well, there's only one way to find out why we feel that way, and that's to find out for yourself, as strange as that may seem. And the doctor said, well, why don't you pray to God, this God that's searching for you, and ask him to show you his way and talk to him like he's your friend. She said she smiled and, and thought the doctor might as well suggest that she talk to the Taj Mahal. But then she said that the doctor said something that shot through her like electricity. She said, lean closer. And she said, he took my hand and he said, talk to him as if you're talking to your father. And over the, the course of the next weeks and months, God did reveal himself to her that, and, and that the Jesus of the Bible was the true message of hope that she was missing in her life. You know, even though she started facing intense persecution as the news of her conversion got out, and even though her family abandoned her, she was continuously brought back to a place of peace and faith every time she talked with God and realized that he desired to be her loving father who are him. And church, all of us can do that because all of us can go to God intimately and personally because we don't need to go through anybody else to get to which is why Martin Luther said, faith alone is the true priestly office. Amen. Faith alone is the true priestly office. Meaning that all believers, not just a select few, but all believers share in all that Christ is through our union with him. But sadly, you know, even though the New Testament teaches the priesthood of believers, and great theologians like Calvin and Luther have reinforced it, you know, yet many Christians go through their entire life with a mentality of being unable to approach God effectively. In fact, I've had people say to me all the time things like, oh, uh, you know, Pastor, please pray for me because I'm sure you have a closer connection to God than I do. Uh, but that's, that's not true. That's not true. I mean, yes, I, I may possibly know more about him than you do. Maybe not. But nobody knows you better than he does. Nobody knows you better than God does. And he is instantly available at your slightest call. That's why Romans 8 and 26 says, In the same way, the Spirit also comes to help us weak as we are, for we do not know how we ought to pray. The Spirit himself pleads with God for us in groans that words cannot express. So not only do you not need a priest, in some cases you don't even need your own words. You can just go to God and rest in him by faith, if that is you have a personal relationship with his son that makes that possible. One commentator said this, Jesus has actually purchased throne rights for every single one of us. And these things have tremendous implications for the life and power of all born again people. Many of whom know this in their heads, but sadly have never learned to enter into the power of that truth in their hearts. Another commentator said our most significant blessing is that there is no hierarchy of beings, not archangels, not angels, archbishops, bishops, and priests standing between the believer and God. Rather, we have union, communion, and fellowship with God through our great high priest, Jesus Christ. And church, this is so important to understand that when Christ uttered his last breath on the cross, that that great temple veil we talked about, that, that had shrouded the Holy of Holies, was torn in two from top to bottom. That, that great separating curtain that was a constant reminder that sin renders humanity unfit for God's presence and beyond their reach. That Jesus Christ through his death has removed the barrier between God and man. And now we can approach him with complete confidence. 
Just like Hebrews 4, 14 says this. Then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. All because Christ's priestly work opened a new and living way through the veil of his flesh, so that, that all believers, <clears throat> men and women, boys and girls, people of every tongue and tribe and language and nation, have immediate access to God in the heavenly holy of holies. Because even though not everyone is called to be a preacher or a Bible teacher or a deacon or an elder, at the same time, you are a chosen race. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation, a people for his own possession. You may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. And church, that's the job of each and every one of us. Because the doctrine of the priesthood of all believers means that all believers in Christ share in his priestly status. So there's no special class of people who have to mediate the knowledge and the presence and the forgiveness of Christ to the rest of the world. And all believers, every single one of you, have the right and the authority to read and apply the teachings of Scripture to your everyday life. Now, of course, that, that does not mean that we do away with the, the pastoral or ministerial authorities, because those, of course, are mandates of Scripture in the pastoral epistles of Timothy and Titus. And those authorities are part of the way that God blesses his church with instruction in right doctrine and church discipline and sound preaching. But at the same time, you mothers and fathers and husbands and wives and grandparents, you're the priest in your individual home and to your families and to your parks to share God's word and to repeat his statutes and most importantly to pray with and for yourself and for the folks you love. So, so what does that look like by way of practical application? What, what does that mean? Well, for one thing, uh, it means conducting family worship in your home. Uh, because whether you realize it or not, the Bible does not place the primary responsibility on the church to provide for family worship. That responsibility rests with the husband and the father, in that he is to be the spiritual leader in his home. Now, of course, you know, certainly part of a father's responsibility, a husband's responsibility is to have his family actively participating in a good local church so they can hear the gospel preached, grow spiritually, and mature as believers. But guys, spiritual nurturing has to begin at home. Uh, and, and yes, you know, we could maybe choose to delegate some aspects of it to our wife, but fellas, the ultimate responsibility for regular family worship rests with you as the God-ordained leader of your home where dad is charged to lead both his wife and his children spiritually. And I know, I know some of you guys are actively doing that already. Uh, but for you fellows who aren't doing some kind of regular family devotions, before you panic, this doesn't mean you got to go to Bible college. Uh, it doesn't mean you have to plan a six-page liturgy every single day. Uh, but it does mean as a priest in your home, it is your job to ask and to seek and to knock on the door of heaven with and for your family. And you can keep it really simple. Uh, it can be as simple as reading the scripture together at the dinner table after supper and saying a prayer together. And if you don't know where to start and you're 
you're afraid maybe you won't know what to do or what to say, I've made a really easy suggestion for you. If you have your bulletin, you want to kick it off. If you look on the back of your bulletin, there's an ad for this great little book. I don't make any money off of this, so this is not a plug. Okay. Uh, it's called the Family Worship Bible Batch. This is a tiny little book from Reformation Heritage Press. Uh, they use it hand-in-hand with daily Bible reading. So these great little devotional paragraphs on all 1,189 chapters in the Bible. Uh, and, and I just saw it's, it's still available for 15 bucks from Reformation Heritage Press. You can't beat that. Uh, and then in addition to the little devotional paragraphs on all those chapters, there's just one or two leading questions as far as conversation. And I can tell you we, we've used it. It's got, some, it's got some questions that are really making me think. Um, so don't tell me that every single one of you fellows in this room cannot do that. Uh, or, or better yet, try explaining it to God if you're not willing to. Um, and ladies, you're not off the hook either. Because the Bible has some priestly duties for you. Titus chapter 2 says older women. Are there any older women in the church? <laughs> you are to teach the younger women to love their husbands and children. You're to teach them to think before they act. And to be pure, to be workers at home, to be kind, and to obey their husbands in this way the word of God is on. So, ladies, when your husband comes home and he says, let's read the Bible together tonight, you say, okay. And then you encourage him to do it again tomorrow. And you can pray with and for your family, for your kids, and for your grandkids, even if it's just over the telephone. And ladies, if you don't know how to start doing that, just start by praying through the book of Psalms, like... Just like our pilgrim ancestors and godly women in the past. Uh, and, and for all of us, for those of us a little younger, maybe men and women alike, uh, minister to your parents and your relatives. Because when you do that, you're being a priest. They shouldn't be taking care of you. You should be taking care of them. The Bible says in 1 Timothy, anyone who does not provide for their relatives and especially for their own household has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. And again, this is younger folks taking care of older folks. Isaiah 58, 7 says, Share your food with the hungry. Open your homes to the homeless poor. Give clothes to those who have nothing to wear and do not refuse to help your own relatives. And church, on top of all of that, every single person who is a baptized believer under the sound of my voice has the power, excuse me, the power and the mandate and the authority to share the gospel directly from the lips of Jesus Christ. When he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. And we do that. We're, we're delivering on to them the precious gift that we've received, the faith that the Bible says is once and for all entrusted to God's people. So, so that now, beginning today, you can share that as a priest of God. You have that authority. You have that mandate. The only thing that's left to do is just for you to ask and to seek and to knock for God's will as to where to begin. Uh, and church, if you do that, I promise you, we'll show you. Jesus says so. Will you pray? Father God, we thank you for the high and holy privilege that you've given us through your Son, we can come right to the throne of grace and we can ask, we can seek, we can knock for our own needs, for the needs of our family, for the needs of our park, our country, our nation. Father, forgive us for how often uh, that we fail to do that, knowing, Lord, that you're much more eager to hear than we are to pray. 
And so, Father, draw us continually to yourself. Use whatever means you have to, whether it's trials, difficulties, uh, whatever it takes, Father, to keep us on our knees before you, trusting you, seeking you. Uh, Father, I ask that you would uh, empower the men of this church to be the godly leaders of the, their homes, to lead their wives in, in worship and in prayer. Uh, Father, I ask that you to empower the women of this church uh, to be the godly women that you would have them to be loving their husbands and their children, uh, encouraging their families through prayer and devotion. And Father, for all of us, help us to take those words seriously and care for those that are members of our family and those you place around us. Father, help us to read uh, those priests that you would have us to be. And Lord, uh, we ask that for those that maybe don't know you, Lord, if there's, there's one among us or one listening online uh, that doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior, you would surprise them today, Father, by the power of your presence, uh, the weight of your holiness, and you would draw them to yourself, Lord, because you promised that this word that's been read and preached goes forward and doesn't return to you in vain. And so we send it out this morning in faith and trust, thanking you for all that you're about to do in and through us. In Jesus' name.